Okay, I finally hope this thing is actually recording. That would be pretty sweet. Oh, hey, it is. Hey, you and welcome. My name is Mike. And in this old podcast today, I got for you a murder mystery conspiracy story. It's It's got like the ultimate, uh, the ultimate quite literal, I would say, get out of jail free card. This is a really weird one, folks. Uh, this is a really bizarre one. I haven't really come across any stories quite like it. See, this is a story of a husband and a wife, and it is linked to 9-11, of all things. See, personally, I'm not really a big one for conspiracy theories. It's not really, it's not really my jam. <laughs> I'm a sheep. What can I say? You know what? I would cover those, like, conspiracy stories and Conspiracy Captain on YouTube. I used to back in the day. Haven't covered any in a while, but, you know, just the videos I would make were really just about making fun of conspiracies. This one is too bizarre for me to even make fun of. So, right, you know, regarding September 11th, there's no shortage of theories, right? You know, what really happened that day. I mean, the most prominent conspiracy theory is that, you know, the collapse of the Twin Towers and Seven World Trade Center were the result of, you know, controlled demolitions rather than structural failure due to impact and fire, right? That, that, that uh, you know, jet fuel can't me melt uh, steel beams, you know, that's, that's the thing, right? It doesn't burn hot enough. That's one of the biggest arguments that the buildings were actually, you know, blown up that day. Though if I can just have a actually, uh, let the record show, I was pushing my glasses up my nose. Jet fuel, it cannot melt steel beams, but it can weaken the structural integrity of them and set fire to other materials that were in the buildings, which could generate a lot more heat. Okay, I'll stop. Don't hate me, conspiracy theorists. I mean, I have my own conspiracies about 9-11. I think the hijackers were actually reptilians, but we'll save that for another day. And, and of course, you know, possible motives claimed by conspiracy theorists for such actions as, you know, flying a plane into a big building, you know, justifying the invasions of Afghanistan and Iraq to, uh, you know, oil, etc. And so then there's also you know, theories that authorities they had advanced knowledge of the attacks and deliberately ignored or even helped the, the those uh, sons of bitches. So this story, it involves a good bit of that. But first off, Let's just set aside the whole conspiracy part of the story. Because it's, it's, I was kind of getting into the weeds there. I need to woo, bring myself back. So we should talk about someone who was lost in the story. The crazy story of Kurtz. Crazy, yeah, is, is an understatement of the day. Mi amigos, batshit. But let's talk about this other person. And that was Nancy, Kurtz's wife. Well, well, soon to be his ex-wife. His soon-to-be ex-wife died on New Year's Day 2002, only a few short months after 9-11. And first of all, I just want to give a big shout-out to The Fugitive, his dead wife, and the 9-11 conspiracy theory that explains everything by Evan Hughes, and also The Spin Doctor, Hero or Cold-Blooded Killer by Kirk Mitchell. Fantastic sources for this episode. Thanks, boys. All right, so let's give it a go. So our story starts in the early hours of that day, New Year's Day 2002. That's January 1st if you're not going by the Gregorian calendar, just in case. You know, New Year's Day, right? What are we all doing on New Year's Day? We're all struggling to breathe because we all tried to forget the year behind us by consuming a few, you know, few sips. Or maybe that's just me. Number one tip, New Year's Day is just try and keep the contents of your stomach down where they should be. And number two, Gatorade. Lots and lots of Gatorade. But that is when our story begins, and the party, it was still going. 
At 1.40 a.m. on New Year's Day, or late New Year's Eve, Denver police were called to a house in central Denver, close to City Park, where, where the zoo is, in, a, in a, you know, a, a nice, upscale, leafy, suburban neighborhood. So they were called there in the middle of the night. And meeting the police at the front door was a man dressed in a kind of a semi-formal outfit is how it's been described. Um, black blazer, black shirt, black pants. It looked like he had just come from, you know, uh, some kind of party, which he had. Now, this man, when he answered the door to the police, he was extremely distraught, extremely upset. And, you know, when they were trying to speak with him, he was... It seemed like he was not there. He was in another world. When the police even went up the steps to his front door, he could barely open the door. That's how he was there. Like, he couldn't... It's like his hands wouldn't work. It's like he was out of... He was having an out-of-body experience. And the police would say they heard him mention something along the lines of... I can't believe she shot herself. Uh, come again? To get into the house, the cops, they had to smash a window at the front of the home, and then, and then they climbed in. And then they walked over to this man, and they noticed the smell of booze and blood on his hands. He pointed up the steps, and he started walking in that direction, saying his wife needed help. But the cops, they held him back, and they themselves climbed the stairs of the Sonnenfeld home, smelling gunpowder as they did. Nancy and Kurt Sonnenfeld had been a successful young couple in Denver. They were a power couple. You know, the guy needs to see at fundraisers and that sort of thing, those sort of shenanigans. You know, they'd get in all the pictures, you'd see them in the papers, all that. You know, they would often hold parties at their house and they were known to be, they were known as great company, gregarious. They were both in their 30s, both, you know, they were a handsome, good-looking couple. Kurt, he worked as a videographer, and he would help train uh, government officials on, you know, communication strategies. Um, when dealing with disasters, stuff like, you know, 9-11, how the government communicates with the public, the media, that sort of thing. Nancy, she was an advertising manager, and she was very, very successful in her own career. She was really the breadwinner of the couple, and she was very headstrong. Now, everyone loved them both. They were, you know, they were the couple everybody wanted them at the party. You know, you'd be having a couple of drinks, you'd be looking at the door, hoping that the Sonnenfels would walk through at any moment. And they had been married for eight years by the time New Year's 2002 rolled around, together for, for about 11. They had been out together at a New Year's Eve party that night. They'd come home. Then, you know, after about 10 minutes, maybe, after walking in the front door, well, Kurt called 911, and here we are. So, officers climbed the stairs of their home, and the smell of a recently fired weapon, you know, that was getting stronger and stronger with every step. They entered the master bedroom, and in, in kind, of a, kind of a seating area, they found her. They found Nancy. She was wearing, uh, like, a nightdress, red underwear, and she was sitting there. A 45 caliber handgun lay on the floor, about a foot or two away, and blood was pumping out of her skull. Now, though, Nancy, she was still breathing, but she was, she was completely unconscious. The bullet, it had passed through her skull and come out the other side. Now, of course, you know, the police seeing this, they called EMTs, and she was rushed to a hospital, like, right away. But, unfortunately, she passed away later that same day. 
She was declared dead at 7.30 a.m. on the 1st of January, 2002. So, allegedly, Nancy had shot herself in the head. Now, the police who were, who were there that night, unsure of kind of, you know, what's, what's the real story here, they took Kurt into custody immediately, and he was questioned and polygraphed about what happened. But, but Kurt, he, he stuck to his story. He said he didn't shoot her, she'd just gone upstairs, and she had shot herself. Now, he said that night, that night itself, it was, ooh, it was blurry. He couldn't really remember much. Ah, oh, jeez, guys, I browned out. But he said he had been in the other room when he heard the gun go off. He was saying, you know, it was all very vague. He often blacked out, browned out when drinking. Maybe they had an argument, and after the argument, she went in, did the, you know, the unthinkable. Well, maybe he's right. You know, they very well may have had an argument. Because Kurt, he had a big old black eye. Looked like he had taken a few punches to the head. All right. But he would later say he had done that damage to his face himself. That while in a cell, before being interviewed, and, you know, in his frustration about not knowing how Nancy was, he just started bashing his head against a window. And he, he said to them, you know, do gunshot residue on my hands, then you'll, then you'll see, right? I didn't fire a gun. I wasn't even near the gun, you know? So, um, yeah, he was offering to do the cop's job for them. Nice. I swear, hey, they wouldn't, they might not have thought of that. Thanks, Kurt. Now, things here were starting to look, uh, look a little bit odd, right? The first responders, they noticed he had blood spatter on his face, which means he must have been close enough to Nancy when she pulled the trigger. Not in the other room, as he said. Nancy also seemed to have some, um, some, some what are called struggle-inflicted wounds on her hands and on her right wrist. And under her left index fingernail, Kurt's DNA was found. Now, and the wound caused by the gunshot, was that, was that like a really weird position? Really weird position because it's quite hard to shoot yourself in the head when the entry wound is behind your ear. And it had an upwards angle. The gun also wasn't pressed against her head either when the trigger was pulled. Now, I'll say this, I, I, I you know, look at true pictures of Nancy Sonnenfeld, maybe she does have really long arms, like Stretch Armstrong, but I don't think so. And when people shoot themselves in the head, most of the time it's, it's against their temple. So due to the blood evidence, the sign of a struggle and a blood spatter on his face, the police began to, began to think Kurt was right next to Nancy, right next to her on the couch, and he shot her, shooting her in the back of the head. But, but why? Why would Nancy either kill herself, or, if that was not the case, why would Kurt murder his wife? The circumstances here were, were getting a, a wee bit murky. Uh, it seems like there was more here than meets the eye. But Kurt, he said, I, you know, I can tell you exactly why she would have killed herself. He had a little idea, a little bitty idea, um, about why this had happened. And really, it was his fault. See, Kurt and Nancy, they'd gone to Thailand a little more than a month before, on vacation. This was around Thanksgiving 2001. And during that vacation, Kurt, motherfucker, he got on the H-dog. He got on the heroin. Now, Kurt said he did have substance abuse issues in the past. And to the absolute surprise of no one, he said, he said, uh, yeah, Nancy got um, just a little bit mad at me for, you know, getting on fucking heroin. Wow, really? She got pissed off for you for doing that? What's her fucking problem? I don't know. Maybe she just watched train spotting on the flight over or something. And as it turned out, Kurt didn't just stop there. 
he went on a full-on bender. And Nancy would find him days later in a hotel room with two women doing drugs. Actually, you know, <laughs> can I get a change my mind here? Kurt Sonnenfeld, he's, he's pretty fucking cool. So, soon after arriving back home in Denver, well, <laughs> separately, by the way, they got separate flights. That's uh, Nancy, yeah, she was not having it. Nancy filed for legal separation. And Nancy actually told her sister she was, you know, eventually planning on getting a full-on divorce. And Kurt, he was supposed to be out of the house by Christmas. But he said, you know, you know, they, he'd made some amends. They'd patched, they'd patched things over. He, he'd apologized. Sorry for doing heroin. <laughs> and, you know, things, things were better. And that's why, you know, they were back together on New Year's. But he said, you know, I guess Nancy, she realized, you know, the relationship was, was moribund. The relationship was dead and she just couldn't live without me. So she, um, she, she just shot herself. You know what, guys? I am just so fucking cool. She couldn't live without me. What can I say? Which is a um, good story. I mean, it's interesting. I'll give it that. Less than a week after Nancy's death, Kurt was charged with first degree murder. Police had done a search of the house and it did not match his story. They had found enough inconsistencies to charge him. The direction the bullet went through her head, it was fired from the back. So, as I said, an awkward way to shoot yourself. That combined with the blood spatter on Kurt's face, the fact that the gun, the killing weapon, it was a few feet from her, and there were two pools of blood, suggesting that she had been moved. Now though, Nancy did have gunpowder on her hand and her prints were on the weapon. So it could be, you know, possible that Kurt had used her own hand to hold the weapon, but then again, you know, it'd still be incredibly awkward to do it. Maybe he had wiped off his own prints and put the gun in her hand after she was dead. And Kurt, he did have gunpowder on his clothing, but not on his hands. But then, how did it even get on his clothes when he claimed he wasn't even in the room when the firearm was discharged? Kurt's defense, though, they mounted up, they saddled up, and they had a number of explanations as to why things were the way that they were. For example, the reason there were two, two pools of blood, he said he, he sat her up after he ran in and he found her, you know, after she had, she had shot herself. A note would also be found in the house, which could very well be argued that it was in fact a suicide letter written by Nancy. It went, it went a little something like this. Well, okay, it went exactly like this. What indeed is finally beautiful except death and love? Kurt, please get help. That was a Walt Whitman quote and the love was crossed out. What indeed is finally beautiful except death? So yeah, I guess that kind of does sound a little bit um, uh, suicide-y. The, the blood spatter that was on Kurt's face. Now, the, the prosecution would argue it was from when he was right beside her, right? It, it, it spattered back on his face after he'd shot her. But the defense said that the blood that was found on his face, that was from her breath. Her She was breathing out bloody air as Kurt was beside her, trying to nurse his, his soon-to-be ex-wife. Yet, <laughs> there was no blood found in her mouth or nose. In fact, the way that the spray was on his face, it can only get that way from what's called a high-force event. So... Kurt was charged with the murder of his soon-to-be ex-wife, and things were not uh, looking good. Circumstantial, but seen a few of these before in my day. Kurt, he, he must have been shitting bricks as he was, you know, the possibility of him being sent away for the rest of his life, or even worse, was extremely high. Colorado, at the time, 
it had the death penalty. It was abolished in, in 2020, but uh, back in 2002, I think that would have been a fuck all solace to Kurt. But then, a miracle happened. In June 2002, a day before one of the many, you know, scheduled court dates in this case, and six months after Nancy's death, the charges against Kurt Sonnenfeld were oh so suddenly dropped. Lack of evidence, the, the prosecution said. They, 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 they didn't think they had their ducks in a row, and they didn't think it would be a slam dunk when, when brought to trial. And so, it was dismissed. A dismissal, though, without uh, prejudice, meaning that he could be recharged if they came across more evidence. But for now, he was free to go. He was a free man. Just because, though, you know, he was free to go, it didn't, it did not mean that the investigation uh, stopped. In fact, get a load of this, right? Kurt had been in jail for about six months before being freed, right? Well, after he was let go, two men came forward. Came forward, you know, desperate, desperate, dying and desperate to tell the police a story about Kurt. That he had confessed to them in jail that he had killed Nancy. And they, they could tell the police things, you know, again, as we always say, only the killer would know. Details that were never made public. And they said, this is what happened. At the New Year's party, Nancy found Kurt uh, with a woman. Nancy suspected he was, go he was going to get high with her. He was back on the drugs. He's going to get back on the choo-choo train. So Nancy went home alone, leaving Kurt at this party they had been at. Then when Kurt got home after her, they'd gotten into an argument. He told Nancy, you know, stay with me. They're not going to get divorced. You know, you're staying with me. You ain't going anywhere. Now, first of all, uh, Kurt said he wasn't in the room when the gun was fired. But when this uh, this informant kind of confronted Kurt about that, he was like, well, people don't usually shoot themselves in the back of the head. So Kurt then admitted he had shot Nancy. Kurt said the reason police didn't find gunshot residue on his hands is thank you to Kling Film. Allegedly, he said, well, that's why they make Saran Wrap. The reason being, Kurt was very scared about getting divorced. He was worried about finances, the house was owned by both of them, and Nancy was the breadwinner. He would have a lot to lose in a divorce case. Nancy had already been cutting Kurt off. She'd been, she'd been getting rid of some of their, their bank cards, their joint account, you know, trying to stop him from, because Kurt was going downhill when it came to drugs and alcohol, so she was really trying to curtail that, and um, he just simply wasn't a fan. So, these two informants who both came forward, and they came forward separately, right? They came forward independently of each other. They said they would be willing to testify at trial regarding this. The investigators also found another lie from Kurt. He claimed that he was on his computer when he heard the shot fired, the shot fired that killed Nancy. But that didn't check out. His computer was last used at 7pm on New Year's Eve, almost six hours before he called the police. So, in December 2003, a year and a half after the initial charges were dropped, a judge signed a new warrant seeking Kurt's arrest for murder. He was recharged with Nancy's murder, first degree. Get his ass! That would be easier said than done, though. Um, I'm afraid. Kurt was gone. He was long gone. He was Audi 5000, a long way from Denver, CO. And he had been for almost a year at this stage, living in Buenos Aires, Argentina. He had sold everything back in America 
he'd gone uh, on holidays to Argentina on vacation, and he was due to stay there for, for about a month. Then he met a woman, beautiful Paula Duran. And Kurt thought to himself, hmm, maybe I won't rush back. A little over a month later, he was married in Argentina. Now, remember, like, the charges had been dismissed at this point, so he had no reason. He, Kurt had no reason to go back to America. Or, or rather, he had no reason to avoid going back to America at this stage. You know, Kurt and Paula, they even made plans to go visit his parents back in Colorado, but due to some visa issues, they had to quash that for the time being. And so, uh, Kurt and Paula, they were married, they got a place in Buenos Aires. Kurt, he tried to get a job. Once again, he tried to get a job working in Argentina as a videographer. Uh, he brought his portfolio with him, which included, and what had made a name for him, his footage from Ground Zero, the day the buildings fell. See, back in September 2001, Kurt had been the official videographer at the World Trade Center. He had authority that day. You know, the media weren't even allowed at this point. But because Kurt, he worked with the government, he was a reservist for FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, he was given the job. So he was there, he was filming everything, and the footage, his footage, would later be distributed to the news media. And this, you know, it made him somewhat famous. He would be interviewed about it, you know, about the experience, and so on and so forth. You know, even in Argentina, he brought this footage along, saying, you know, look at what I've caught on camera. Now, no one was actually interested in hiring him, but they would ask if they could use his footage and interview him there when they're doing, uh, you know, documentaries about it and so on and so forth. So, that was life for Kurt in Argentina until August 2004, when Interpol came knocking on his door and Interpol were carrying extradition papers for him to go back to the US of A. Now, the thing is, living in Argentina, Kurt didn't even realize he'd been recharged with Nancy's murder. It was a complete shock to him. So, he went to jail, and of course, mounted a defense against extradition. You know, he was married there, his life was there, you know, now, blah, blah, blah. And they also argued that if they sent him back, he, he could be killed, as Colorado had the death penalty, you know. And Argentina basically said, can't do it, lads. You know, Argentina was not a fan of the death penalty, and so that was a successful argument. They couldn't send him back to the USA where he could be killed. Essentially, Argentina was arguing if we send him back and um, he's found guilty, convicted, sentenced to death, the blood would be on their hands. And they couldn't do it as a country opposed to the death penalty. So the Argentinian government, they let him go free. Even after Colorado said, here, listen, lads, we're not going to send him to, we won't seek the death penalty. Pinky promise. Argentina still said, nuh-uh. The Americans, you know, they appealed this decision. And this, my friends, is when Kurt decided to uh, uh, go nuclear, go nuclear with the entire thing. He would say on national TV in Argentina that this was bullshit. That the government, the American government, they knew, they knew he was innocent of Nancy's death. This whole thing was not about her at all. That's not why they wanted him. They wanted him because he knew what really happened on September the 11th. He said he had filmed a lot that day as the official videographer, but he hadn't handed all the footage over. He kept, uh, he kept some in the back pocket, my friends. And the US government was very scared he might make it public or show it on TV in Argentina. So they had to shut him up. Kurt would say that the US government knew all about the 9-11 attacks you know, before it happened. It, it was all planned. He said he saw large, you know, empty vaults. 
vaults that had been emptied, you know, because they knew the attack was going to happen. And he also went, you know, along with a lot of the 9-11 the truther at points, you know, the, the black boxes not surviving, why Building 7 fell, etc, etc. Now this is, um, well, I suppose, depending on, on what you believe, dear listener, um, complete bullshit, uh, or not, I'll leave that up to you. But other FEMA employees who were there longer, and before Kurt, you know, in New York uh, at Ground Zero, they would say they didn't see anything weird. But I guess they would be saying that. It would even be listed, though, in a report that Kurt didn't even arrive to Ground Zero until a week, a week after the actual attacks. But <laughs> according to much of the Argentinian media, he was speaking the God's honest truth. Salute. They would even take his side, saying, yeah, the extradition of Kurt, it's based on what he saw. They would report that in the media. Now, also just to say here that um, some outlets in Argentina may not be huge fans of uh, the USA. And that's due to the, 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 like in Argentina, they had a brutal military dictatorship that went from 1976 to 1983, what was called the National Reorganization Process. It was, uh, it was pretty shit. Um, there was a coup by the military and the country essentially turned into a fascist state. And it was estimated that up to, up to 30,000 civilians were killed. Now, this dictatorship was backed by the, uh, by the USA, you know, good old uh, Henry Kissinger, he, he hated him commies, so really anything was better than uh, communism, so they went with military dictatorship. And that was a pretty dark time for Argentina, so that kind of slanted the views of a lot of Argentinians and uh, regarding the US government. So Argentina, they protected him. And, and uh, Kurt Sonnenfeld even wrote a book called El Perseguido, The Persecuted. And he became a celebrity there. He would even rile people up saying his life was in danger. You know, assassins were coming from his emails were being hacked, his phone tapped. All that, all this bullshit, you're right. My name is Kurt Sonnenfeld. For 10 years, I worked for several different agencies of the United States government, including the Federal Emergency Management Agency. In September of 2001, I was contracted to be the official videographer uh, following the attacks on Ground Zero of the World Trade Center. Because of the conclusions of what I saw and what I filmed, my life has been in danger for the past 10 years. Now, I live in Argentina as a political refugee. This is my story. To me, things began to appear out of the ordinary or even suspicious right from the beginning. All of the, the government agents were, were walking freely about uh, on the, the rubble of Ground Zero. There was no attention at all given to uh, preserving evidence. And in fact, uh, from what it looked like to me, uh, they were very rapidly removing the evidence and taking it away to uh, Fishkill Island, where it was then uh, sent to China and melted down. To me, the most suspicious thing of, of, of all of what happened on September 11th is uh, what happened to uh, Building 7 of the World Trade Center. Uh, very few people know that, uh, that in fact, uh, three buildings collapsed. Uh, this building was not hit by any airplane. It didn't have any structural damage as a result of any airplane or much stru structural damage as a result of the, uh, the Twin Towers falling. 
One thing I am certain of is that uh, the agencies of intelligence of the United States of America knew what was going to happen and at least let it happen. And considering the unusual events around uh, WTC7, uh, I'm at the point of concluding that uh, not only did they know it was going to happen, uh, that they, in fact, collaborated. Okay, so two things uh, right there. One, uh, I didn't add that music, by the way, the music you're hearing when he's talking, that's in the original friggin' uh, video, whatever, interview with him. And two, you'll also probably notice he did not say anything there that you have not heard before. Like, there is no, oh my god, revelation, mind blow moment. Like, that's, these, the things he's saying are pretty common stuff that's been said since... It since two thousand one, like a lot of people don't know, Building Seven collapsed. A lot of people know Building. Like he says, nothing there you have not heard. But like he's claiming he's a political prisoner. Why? 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 <laughs> what do you have that anybody else would want? That anybody else would even give a shit about, other than some Argentinian media sources who, for some reason, care about you. He is like. The smartest bullshitter I've ever come across. And so that's that's what happened to Kurt. He stayed married to Paula. They had twin girls. He ended up getting a job as a cameraman, which he, which he dreamt of. And he still, to this day, has an outstanding warrant for his arrest. A man, you know, who, who still says he is 1000% innocent. After all, after all, if, we, if he wasn't innocent, why were the charges dismissed in the, the, the first time around? Huh? Answer that one for me, hotshot. That's what he always says when he's uh, confronted with the, the whole story. He's like, well, you know, they dismissed it the first time, so clearly it's bullshit, right? Huh? And people still believed him. You know, mistrust of the US ran deep, you know, in these parts. Nancy, she quickly became forgotten in all of this. Kurt Sonnenfeld, he was suddenly Edward Snowden or whatever. You know, he was suddenly uh, a national hero whistleblower. Not, definitely not a man so terrified of being extradited back to the USA, he would convince people of a conspiracy. I mean, I will say, like, if you have all this footage, if, if you claim to have this footage of some shady shit going on at Ground Zero, then why not show it? Okay, right, go to YouTube right now. Well, when I say right now, I mean after this podcast, of course. And search World Trade Center uh, Kurt Sonnenfeld. You'll get actually a couple of clips which are apparently, allegedly, uh, footage he took... And it's a lot of it's been uploaded, right? There's one called World Trade Center Video Exclusivo de Kurt Sonnefeld Autor del de El Perseguido. It alleges to be some of the footage he took at Ground Zero. Um, to describe this video in particular, it's it's got this like lame ass chanting. Like the visuals are pretty harrowing, as you can imagine. It's of Ground Zero, but at the same time, it's like literally nothing you haven't seen before. Like, if, if there's supposed to be something shady in this footage, please point out, point it out with like a big red arrow or a red circle like I do in my goddamn YouTube thumbnails, because I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be looking at here. Other than just what I've seen in loads of news, news reports before. The video itself is 7 minutes, 44 seconds. The last shot is of a miniature American flag, then it's like a minute of black screen. Okay, then. I mean, whoa, I could totally see a 340p reptilian flipping me the bird in the background. You know, there's loads, right? Just search it. There's seven, there's multiple errors of footage. But in all this, where is the gotcha? Where's the gotcha moment where he's like, ah, this is what they didn't want you to see. There's none of that. But I mean, you know, Kurt, he hasn't been convicted of anything. 
But personally, if I too, wink wink, didn't kill my wife, I too would upload footage of one of the most shocking days in US history, really world history, to try and get the emotions and conspiracies to cover up what I uh, didn't do, wink wink, once again. In Argentina, Kurt is a hero who stood up to the corruption, you know, of the US government. A hero who used his own children, his own twin daughters, to be part of his PR campaign. Yeah, the media in Argentina, like, when they weren't blowing him, they often would fail to mention his dead, murdered, question mark, wife. Just saying that, you know, he had some un unfortunate in incident in his past. And of course, he became a hero outside of Argentina too, a hero for truthers everywhere. You know, Kurt became the victim, you know, the persecuted man, as he called his book. However, all that was until 2015, my friends, when the Argentinian Supreme Court overruled the decision that had been made, the decision to not extradite him. They said, all right, off you pop little dude, you're going back to America. Like, obviously, this whole time, the US was petitioning to have him sent back, not stopping, appealing, appealing, so on and so forth. So, was he sent back? Well, uh, the president of Argentina at the time, one Christina Kircher, on her last day in office, she reversed the decision by the Supreme Court, blocking his extradition once again. He would not be sent back to the US. And to this day, in 2023, Kurt Sonnenfeld remains in Argentina. And I mean, guys, honestly, fair, fair play to you. And by, and by that, I mean just getting an entire country to buy his bullshit. It's actually pretty, pretty impressive. Like, I really, I wonder why do they believe him? Does he have, like, some footage in private, or are they just believing whatever he says because they, the US government is corrupt? Like, uh, it's fair, fair play to golf cop, golf cop. And there you have it. That's the story, that's the story of this one. You know, the quote-unquote hero I really hope we don't deserve, and we definitely do not need. Kurt is now 60 years old, sunning it up down old South America way. Um, I mean, honestly, it's pretty good. If I was ever accused of murder, conspiracy theory is the way to go. Especially a conspiracy that your country specifically will buy. Or just reptoids, just blamed reptoids. I always do, it works well for me. Who farted? Reptoids. Who ate last slice of pizza? Fucking reptoids are at it again! Thank you everybody so much for listening to this old podcast. I hope you found it as batshit as I did. It's a really, really s strange story of a guy who probably uh, murdered his wife and then covered it up with talking about, you know, one of the most biggest conspiracy theories of all time, which is, you know, 9-11. But, um, yeah, there you go. Um, so here, before I leave you, once again, um, if you wouldn't mind just, uh, you know, following, rating, reviewing, it helps the podcast out so, so much, I can't even tell you. Uh, the next podcast episode will be in a couple of days, every Monday, every Friday, with a video on YouTube every Tuesday. So check that out if you would like to. But until the next one, please take care of each other. Please take care of yourselves because guess what? I love you. Mike out. <laughs>